said, Andy, that woman's complete remission. She said, if you hadn't shown up in my office and sold me this test, that woman would have died. You can be in industry, you can be in business, and you can have a profound impact on people's lives. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Got a big one heading your way today with Andy Moy, who is CEO and board member at Page AI, which is the only company that the FDA has approved to use artificial intelligence in a diagnosing cancer in pathology. Their mission is advancing cancer detection, patient care, and treatment through the development of cutting-edge artificial intelligence, including the U.S. launch of Page Prostate Detect, the first and only AI-based pathology product to receive FDA marketing authorization for in vitro diagnostic use, detecting cancer in prostate biopsies. His his involvement in pathology began around 2005, and he's been at the forefront of the molecular diagnostics, biotechnology, and life science industries for nearly two decades, focusing on pathology, oncology, genomics, and precision medicine. And before that, by the way, he served in the Navy for eight years, flying a P-3C aircraft. Andy, welcome to lead the team. Good morning, Ben. How are you? Man, I am doing so well. Super excited to have you on. We have had, so start kind of bringing this full circle. We've we've had a few leaders in the artificial intelligence world, including Yep. Manoj Saxena, who um, w- was one of the first people to to create and, and envision IBM Watson, yeah. he founded the uh, the Responsible AI Institute. We've been talking about it, and one of the things that Manoj said, I asked him a question. I said, "I want to hear what scares you the most, and what excites you the most." And mm-hmm. of course, the scary stuff is all about facial recognition and you know, all kinds of uh, drone flights and all kinds of stuff. Right. But he said, he said this, healthcare. He said, cancer research, healthcare excites him the most of any field in artificial intelligence. And y'all, here we are today with Andy, who, I mean, is really doing some incredible stuff with his company. So just, so we've got a bunch of people on listening today that they're not in healthcare, right? They use healthcare. Maybe they are helping uh, negotiate deals with insurance companies on behalf of their employees. The health of their employees are important. What should they be most excited about right now when it comes to artificial intelligence and healthcare? Yeah, no, thanks, Ben. It's a great time to sort of be in this space, just given the the technological advancements. Some of the things that are available today were were not available two years, three years ago, four years ago in the field of AI is advancing so quickly. I, I do think there's really two sides of, of AI that I think will have the biggest impact in the next, call it three to five years, sort of the short to midterm. It's number one, some of the things that we're doing at Page, which is around enabling doctors to uh, provide better and more accurate diagnosis than is happening today. It's one of these, it's one of these areas that I think most people don't think about. They get they sort of hear the C word, hey, your doctor says you have cancer. 
my goodness, what am I going to do? The reality is there's some, there's some subjectivity to that. Hmm. And there are people on the other end of that. And in fact, there was a wall street journal article came out last weekend that stated it was a doctor who gave his, uh, wrote an article from the university of Miami and said up to 20% of diagnosis are wrong. So you get hmm. patients who are either over-treated, under-treated, or not treated at all for cancers. And that and that's that's an area that AI is addressing, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. More broadly in healthcare, you know, the physician burnout problem is real. You know, I, sure. I think doctors, especially through COVID over the last five years, been plenty of surveys and studies that have talked about, you know, how many physicians would not want their kids to join the practice of medicine, which is super unfortunate. And so, and, and a lot of that is just admin work. It's just admin, right? It's just getting the paper pushing, checking exactly. boxes because checking they've got boxes. to fulfill something for the insurance yep. companies. And the system you got it. Systems tough. You got it. And so, so, and so AI as these co-pilots can help drive a lot of that, yeah. you know, automation for doctors. So those are those kind of the related two areas I think in the short term will have the biggest impact. So it sounds like two good news, two good newses, two good bits of, <laughs> of news there. I hear. Just kind of filtering it through the business leader lens is number one from a personal level. We want more accurate cancer diagnosis. Whether sure. you have cancer or you don't have it, there's a big spectrum on how aggressive, what the treatments mm-hmm. need to be, and, right. and the okay. AI tools like you're working on help that piece of it. So I think that is like a sigh of relief and hope for a lot of people. Now, yeah. on a business perspective, though. What I hear is this could drive down healthcare costs. Yeah, that's you know that's it's right. I we how much how much? You know, the, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the the challenge in you know healthcare is yeah is that so much of it's pushed to the treatment side. Of course, we're yeah. a, certainly in the U.S. We're a nation that loves to treat. We're not we're doers, right, Ben? I America yeah, we take action, right? Yep, doctor. It's right. You, somebody says you got something, but well, by God, we're going to treat it. We're going to do something about it. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the health American healthcare system is just how, uh, you know, reticent most doctors are to say, look, why don't we just let that be, right? It, you know, there's the, sort of classic example of that is in prostate cancer. Uh, in fact, there's quite a debate happening within the urological society right now that a certain grade, so doctors for 50 years, there was a guy named uh, Dr. Gleason, and he came up with this, uh, this way of sort of grading prostate cancer as sort of real bad maybe bad and not so bad it's a scale right and it's very subjective it's very very subjective scale and so what you find is that patients who are sort of this gleason six or under Mm -hmm. very much have you know their survivor survival rates like 98 percent or something like that right very very high and you don't need to do much of them you do what's called active surveillance like hey come back to me every year we'll check it out if you have a seven or an eight, eh, that could be bad. There's some things you can do, maybe some different treatments to look at. Anything higher than eight, you know, typically can metastasize and cause and cause mortality. But that's very subjective, right? In the middle there. And in fact, there's this debate like, should any should sixes even be called cancer? Right? Should be called something else, right? That that helps that. And so what we do with AI is help standardize that. Is it always accurate? Hmm. You know, to to your specification as a doctor, maybe, maybe not, but it's always going to be the same. And it's always going to be very, very objective, right? The AI, the machine doesn't get tired. The machine doesn't have, you know, uh, the home life problems to think about, right? Yeah, I didn't sleep well last night because I stayed up too late watching the U.S. Open. 
I'm you, not going to, yeah, you don't under, necessarily pick up on, you may not be evaluating the x-ray or the scan as well. Yeah, that, That's exactly right. And so it's always going to be checked in. So being able to sort of have a standard that level sets that absolutely should bring costs down. Because if you're just doing active surveillance on, on a man, for example, prostate cancer with a gleason grade mm -hmm. six, you, there's there's no treatment there. There's no, you know, there's yeah. no reason to have to do Huge. a $100,000. Right. Huge. So. I think it's important for for to engage. So I'm thinking about HR leaders, CEOs mm -hmm. engaging with their companies mm -hmm. that are providing this. There's a lot of questions there. What yeah. What are the questions that they? By the way, y'all, I'm going to get to Andy's background because you got to hear about Andy's background. But before that, what should companies be asking? Yeah, your benefit providers, their employees. Yeah, on this front. It it's a it's a really great question. You know, the challenge in AI and healthcare, like everything else, is, you know, are the payers going to pay for it? And and certainly, and certainly the way <laughs> yes. you know, that works in US medicine is is they, you know, it requires about 50 studies, all published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And, and mm -hmm. you know, and 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 then maybe they'll think about it, right? And be sort of paying for it. I think we're we're seeing some really unique care models out there, and I think they're being led. Mm -hmm than by the really big companies who do their own self-employed uh, me uh, medical benefits. Yep. So okay. think Amazon, think Walmart, right? Mm -hmm. Some of those kind of groups, you know, and, and they're really starting to think about how can we take better, you know, we're paying for this stuff, right? So how do we ensure our employees who are under our benefit care are getting the, the best, you know, diagnostics up front so that it saves us costs down. And they're not going to wait for the payer because they're the payer. Right. So, mm -hmm. so there's, you know, so as an example, you know, we partner with Microsoft and Nuance and they do some really cool stuff with payers to look at, Hey, could we screen? So let's say Ben, you and you got a screen. Could we actually have AI take a second look at that? And if there's a, and we'll pay for that, we'll pay for that AI. And if the AI says, eh, look, there's something you know fishy here, go to a secondary expert doctor and we'll pay for that and see what the problem is. Right. Wow. And when you're catching those kind of problems early, <laughs> Then, then you're most likely saving a lot of costs downrange, um, especially for drugs that don't work, for treatments that don't work, et cetera. So I, I think that's really where we're seeing a lot of innovation in the space out there. For companies that don't do their own, you know, self-funded, you, know, um, you know, medical benefits. Yeah, I think it's going back to your your your, your benefits provider, United Healthcare, you know, and all that, and saying, guys, what what are you doing to ensure my employees? You know, basically, your your providers are are getting them the best care. And how are we using technology to help? I, I love it, and in my mind, naturally gravitated towards what well, AI is going to use machine learning to help us cure cancer. And yes, right. hopefully that's the case or improve that. But what yeah. you're telling us is what I really like is just so much more accessible for leaders. Like, hey, absolutely, in advance, right? Yeah. Benjamin Franklin yeah. said, "What an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure." Turns out yeah, cure, he was on us AI yeah. and pathology diagnostics. That's exactly right. That's and, exactly uh, right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting for leaders either to think about, hey, it's not just government research funded studies, healthcare mm -hmm. funded studies. We're talking about commerce getting involved in this because they see the high payoff when they get yep. ahead of the game and getting yep. involved with AI in this way. I think that's that's just so cool for leaders to be thinking about. Now, I also want to point yeah. out the fact, thinking about your career, you are CEO of a company in a career doing stuff that did not exist when you started your career. So absolutely, you were yeah. like, I'm going to be CEO 
of an artificial intelligence healthcare yeah. diagnostic company because that did not exist. In fact, it might have been considered like Star Trek for Star Wars at the time. <laughs> uh, True. What in the world? Like, what has your yeah. journey been like? Like, or, yeah. or, you know, and then I got some other questions here, but I'm also curious. Having been down this road, you've and I've looked, yeah. looked at your background a little bit. What's the advice you would give your younger self starting out? Because you don't, you right. didn't know how this thing was going to turn out. No, no, definitely not. No, I think I, you know. So as you said, we can talk about the military stuff later. But uh, you know, getting out, you know, it's always a tough transition. Uh, a lot of veterans. It's one of the things I'm passionate about as well. Is is sort of how veterans make the transition into civilian life because it was tough for me. But I had always wanted to get back into healthcare. I mean, at the end of the day. You know, when you go and you volunteer to go fly airplanes in the Navy or whatever you go do, you, you're you're sort of bent to serve, right? That's sort of been my, you know, from mm. the beginning. I want to do service, right? I don't want to, you know, go sell, you know, shoes or anything like that. Not that selling shoes is bad, but I want to help, right? I want to serve patients. I want to make a difference in the world. And I want to see how that, uh, you know, the effect of what we're doing every day can actually impact people you know, on a human level and, and provide products that help people on a human level. And so I got, got into this crazy diagnostics healthcare space. And to your point, none of the technologies you use in cancer care and cancer diagnostics were really around then. But, you know, you just sort of started the journey, right? And you learn everything you can learn and you absorb as much from really, really smart people. I mean, I was really fortunate enough to be around some of the greatest minds in cancer medicine then early uh, guys like Dr. Raul Braylon, who invented this technique called flow cytometry, and Amanda, uh, Dr. Dan von Hoff, who was sort of the, you know, he sort of started stand up to cancer, and mm. he was one of the, you know, greatest oncologists out there. And when you start when you're around these kind of people, just being around them, you just need to be a sponge, right? You just shut up, <laughs> you know, you let them talk, you you absorb as much about what's what's out there as possible, and you let sort of the journey, sort of the journey happen. But you made a decision. Why didn't you go into healthcare? Right? You you yeah, have a I, business I, background. Right. Right. Yeah. I felt like, and this has been an interesting, you know, it's not something and to your point, I made an intentional decision. I said, look, I need, you know, number one, getting out of the military, I need a job, right? Let's let's figure that out. But I want to be in healthcare and healthcare diagnostics. You start there. And then you kind of realize, wow, this is a this is a this is sort of an untapped field. This is a this is a field I can grow with, right? This is a this mm. is a small wave way out in the ocean that I can ride for maybe mm. a long time. I don't know where this wave's going, but I'm I'm gonna ride this wave because it's super interesting. Uh, and it's a space where you really can impact people. I I tell a story early on in my career when I was working with Dan and, and with this molecular profiling company. And I was, just, I was a sales rep, you know, early on, you're, you're, you're knocking on doctor's doors. You're trying to convince them, Hey, this is a thing you should buy. And we had this test that basically predicted what drugs would work for some of these cancer patients, really, really late stage cancer patients, really hard off cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And I, I met with a, a doctor and, and uh, she said, yeah, I've got a patient. I might try this on. So I, she, she, you know, bought the, the product. She, she, she uh, prescribed it. She got a result back. She prescribed a drug to a woman, a mid forties mother of three who had stage four lung cancer all in her brain, everything else. And I saw her two or three weeks later, the doctor, and she sat me down and she said, Andy, that woman is complete remission, complete remission. And she said, if you hadn't shown up in my office hmm. and sold me this test, 
that woman would have died. She would have died. And I just, you know, I kind of, I kind of welled up, I kind of well up now. Right. I mean, I, and I, I, it was, it was sort of for me that moment, like, wow, you can, you can be in industry, you can be in business and you can have a profound impact on people's lives, which is exactly what I was looking for. Right. Because I felt like in the military, you're serving, you have that same mission. And so I got that very deep sense of purpose really, you know, around that moment. And it, and it's really motivated me to continue on. Wow. I got to tell during that story, it really goes to show, I mean, people forget and they can get frustrated. I think people, people navigating the healthcare yeah. system and they're like, well, the business people get involved with medicine and it gets messy right. and bureaucratic. Yeah. But the thing is the business side, and, and it sounds like you have a sales background. So you mm-hmm. combine mm-hmm. sales is also about education and getting the mm-hmm. word out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. helping people understand why they need to use these. And so it's really a, I think it, yeah. it, it sounds like it can really be a powerful collaboration when it's done well. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and certainly you need to have physicians involved, right? I mean, you need to have clinicians and you need to have them helping educate their peers on what you're doing, but there's sort of an old saying in this space too, it's no margin, no mission. Right. And, and so you, you have to be able to have a commercially yeah. viable product in healthcare uh, in order to to help the kind of patients that you know that I was able to help you know early in my career and so that's sort of part of it you know it's mm-hmm. i think i think too you know certainly in the US in academic medical centers you know, so much innovation happens in basic research and you know like us cuz we're a spin out of memorial sloan kettering and so when you have really cool innovation that comes from those kind of folks you've got to be able to get it out there right so you got to be able to spin off a strong company Use the, you know, people with my kind of background who have a business commercial, you know, bent and can help go and educate physicians in order to get adoption. So of all that, what is the most important leadership skill or the foundational leadership skill in there that's? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I learned from me and this guy kind of touched on it before, man, it's really about listening, right? It's really about listening, right? And I, I'll tell a story. Wait, salespeople know, like, listening? I, I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> I'm just but, kidding. I'm just but, kidding. but doesn't that differentiate you, right, Ben? It I does. Mean, I was in sales. I said, Ben, listen. Stop yeah. Talking so much. You know, and and you and so I, I had actually early on in my leadership career managed a team. You know, come out of the Navy. You know, the military leadership is different. And I and I, you know, you you learn a certain type of leadership, mm-hmm. but everything's very, um, you know, it's codified, right? There's rank. Uh, you know, you have a certain type of chain of command. You get out in the, in the in the civilian world, right? And I and I think it's a much more challenging type of leadership. And you're trying to cobble together people from all yeah. kinds of backgrounds and diversity, and they can leave and quit anytime they want. And you're trying to get them motivated to do something. And I remember having this call with with somebody on my team, and it was a challenging call. And I asked my boss to join the call. And in the call, you know, this particular she she was a sales rep, and and she had you know a lot of opinions about a lot of things, and and just sort of let us all have it. And I remember sitting there like thinking like, all right, I've, I've got to respond to this. I've got to, I've got to say something. I got to say something. And it's about a 45 minute hour call. I didn't say much in the call. And I remember hanging up on Iowa. I just, you know, what am I doing? Right. I don't, you know, what am I doing? My boss called me and he said, Hey, you're going to be the CEO of a big company one day. And I said, huh? He said, because you know, when to listen, you didn't open your mouth and say stupid stuff. You did all these smart things. You just listened. And I was like, 
yeah, but I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> right? I was like, <laughs> what, what? Oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Got it. This is a, this is a good thing. Right. So, so now, you know, you know, the most challenging thing certainly as leaders, certainly as CEOs is you're always trying to solve problems, right? but yeah. I've always got to remind myself, just listen, right? Just yeah. sit, let's hear it. And then a lot of times people will yeah. talk their way out of their own problem, right? If you just, you know, let them keep talking. I'm like, well, never mind. I'm good. Great. You know, I, so, I yeah, love listening. it. There are so many levels to that story, but yeah. that had a, but the foundation of being listening, listening, and we can't right. be reminded of that enough. Right, listening right. means also paying attention, which enables that's right, and not that's distracting right. yourself with your listening. Looking at your phone is not listening. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yep. But also, I want to give a shout out to the boss because he or she gave you acknowledged what they yeah. wanted to see more of. And here right. you are that's today. Right. That that made a big impression. Sometimes that's a yep. great way to leave versus telling people what to do. It's complimenting yep. them on the things that they're doing well. And that's a really know, it can point. be reinforced yeah. for years based on that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's yeah. something you you yeah, I didn't really think about. So it's a great point. But anyway, that's a cool level to cool level to think about there. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So what's your perspective on helping others through everyday jobs? We talked about the sales piece. How are you talking to your people in your company? Because yeah. you guys aren't actually doing the healthcare, right? You're providing right. tools. Yeah. So I'm sure, you know, you've got accountants. Shout out to accounting. You've got HR. <laughs> you've yeah. got janitorial, whatever. You know, yeah. you got these. What, yeah. How, yeah. Are, how are you talking about that to them? Well, you know, interestingly, and like you said earlier, I was never, I'm not a tech guy, right? So I'm not a coder. I'm not a developer. I'm not an AI scientist. About 80% of my company is, right? They are, you know, uh, AI scientists and, and coders mm -hmm. and developers and software engineers. And so, you know, yeah, and, and certainly in tech, Ben, you know, even though there's been a lot of layoffs for the past couple of years and all those kind of things, if you're a really talented, certainly AI scientist or whatever, lot of opportunity for you out there right so for us the challenge is always how do we keep our teams here at a startup we're still a startup motivated to to do the work every day and yeah. you know you don't have we don't have the resources of google i mean in any way shape or form right or the resources of microsoft so how do we keep people really really motivated and i think it's i think it comes down to two things for me and one you know as a leader i treat everybody like adults and i'm as transparent as possible Right. I, I think, you know, what people really want in work, particularly today, mm -hmm. is to know that leadership cares, that they're not getting lied to, and that they know kind of what's going on so they can make their own choices. And, and that's one of the things that I have done since day one, really, in all of my leadership roles is, is just be transparent. I'll tell you what I can tell you when I can tell you. It. And it may be bad news. It may be great news, but I'm, you're going to know what's going on. Right. And I think that's that's a big piece of it. Uh, and then that sort of drives the culture, right? When you're very transparent, when leadership's transparent, when people can have uh, debate with each other, but be able to move forward, then that that provides a really strong trusting culture, right? And I and I think, you know, yeah, could you make, you know, a whole lot more money at a big tech company somewhere else? Sure. But where are you going to get a trusting culture, leadership that's mm -hmm. transparent, and a mission of which that, you know, hey, we're helping transform cancer care. 
And I, and I think those three things really help to drive, uh, you know, our retention. We've been very fortunate to keep, you know, a very high number of our, of our team members over the past few years, uh, despite all the challenges in the economy and tech and, and all those kind of things. And, and that's been great. You know, I, I think most of the team and I, and I, I personally just, I'm sure every CEO comes on this and tells you this, but, you know, I think we have, you know, the best employees out there. And I just think every time I talk to them, I spent a listening tour. I went and I, I said, Hey, I want to have a one-on-one with everybody, you know, over a hundred people. And I was just amazed at our team's backgrounds, you know, and if you get to know people on a human level, it's a huge deal. So those are really the big things for me, transparency, communication, create that culture of trust. And then, you know, for us, fortunately, the mission is, is, is a good one. It, you know, it's so funny. It's here you are an AI driven company, but the foundation yep. is perfectly human trust, communication, <laughs> transparency. Yeah. No, you can't yep. AI yourself yep. out of that stuff. No, no matter what you no, can't use. I mean, chat GPT can only get you so far on your communication. That's right. You know, that's so right. I just want to point that's that right. out. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a human, it's still a human world. Right. And, and, uh, you know, you had you had mentioned about what scares people about AI, but what gets most people you know excited about AI is, yeah, it's a tool, right? It's a tool going back, you know, a hundred thousand years when man first got fire, you know, hey, that's super that really helped humanity. That was a tool, right? Uh, you know, when we learn how to fly, boy, that's a tool. That's a good thing. Uh, AI is nothing more than a tool that's gonna help us continue forward. Let's talk about this hunter person listening tour. Were you in person, remote, or a mix, or how did you? A mix, it? yeah, a mix. Oh. You know, uh, about uh, two thirds of our staffs remote, um, yep. a third, you know, in the New York office. Yeah, so it was kind of a mixed bag. How, and what what timeline did you work through the one hundred on roughly? What was your? Oh, time? about three and a half months. <laughs> three and a half to, months. Yeah, yeah, because you know, if you do if you do more than two or three or four of those sort of convers listening conversations, number one, you start to feel like a therapist. You have to sort of say, you know, hey, you know, man, yeah. I might need yeah. to talk to somebody, right? After a while, but yeah, it's it's like on us about three and a half months, but twenty minutes, thirty minutes, you know, okay. and really just let people talk, you know, hey guys, what's on your mind? How you feeling about the company? How you feeling about the direction? Ask me anything. Some people were not very comfortable with that, <laughs> you know, well, right? It yeah. So work. the ones that weren't comfortable, which makes sense because they've yeah. probably seen your yeah. picture. Maybe yeah. heard you want a town hall yeah. meeting. Right. But right. now they're one-on-one. It can get a little weird, maybe. And yeah, yeah. and you can have extremely extroverted coders, but probably mm-hmm. people coding, you know, they're like, I don't want to sit there and talk to a bunch of people all day long. I want to focus <laughs> on my work. Uh so yeah. here you are. Yeah. Which did you notice a question that seemed to yeah. work more yeah. than others? Well, I think the question I got most was I think people just, you know, it sounds, you know, we're a new company, we're a startup, the economy, you know, war in Ukraine, inflation, recession, you know, you know, all of the sort of mixed, you know, world that we live in. It's an uncertain world, right? I, I think that's probably, you know, in financial markets, any of those kind of things, people just, it's, it's sort of uncertain, right? And, and I think people sort of feel that. And so I think that's sort of the number one question, you know, what's my level of certainty about the future? How do I feel about things? And, you know, as a leader, you know, I talked about being transparent. I I 100% believe, you know, we're going to come out on top and we're going to help transform the space. It's going to be hard. I don't think, you know, that's also one of the things I want to tell people. This is hard work. 
you know, this is going to be really, really hard and it's going to be difficult uh, at times. But uh, ultimately, if we're doing all the right things and, you know, we're staying true to you know, our mission and our vision and we're telling the truth out there in the marketplace, then, then we'll end up successful. So I think that's really the one the one question I got. You know, I don't for me, you know, asking questions of people, I just I like to hear about who are you? You know, what's you know, what where you know, what do you like to do? You know, what are your outside hobbies? Because I think certainly it sort of gives a glimpse to who they are and, and how they think and what are the you know things that are really important to them. So based on what you learned, is it something that you would recommend to other leaders? I, I absolutely do. It's kind of funny, right? Because my head of engineering was a little bit mortified. I said, yeah, I'm going to talk to everybody. And he was like, all, all of my engineers, everybody, you know, like, yes, I'm going to talk to everybody. Right. And so, <laughs> but it was great. Right. I, 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 I mean, look, I learned so much about our company. You know, my biggest regret is I didn't do it day one as CEO. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I should have said, this is the first thing I'm doing. And we're talking to everybody and I'm going to do this every year or whatever the case is. Now, you know, look, if you have a company and you got 10,000 employees or 20, you know, like this is not, not possible, but, you know, getting as deep as you can down levels to, to talk to your leaders and your managers and as many of, you know, random sampling or talk to groups of people. That was the other thing that came up. Hey, we'd love it if you could come address our, our AI group, you know, once a quarter or something like that. Sure. You know, I, I'm happy to do that, but you just learn so much about your team about what sort of drives them. And then this is the old lean stuff, right? Toyota business system. It's called go to the Jimba, right? You got to be on the on the manufacturing yeah, floor. You be on be the floor. The guy. Yeah. yeah, you got to be talking to the guy that's putting the widgets together, right? And and so if you're not doing that, you really don't have a good sense of what your company is doing. Yeah, I love that. It's so yeah. important for leaders to put that, you know, I, to to try this. And I, it's it's so funny. Like I can only so we're like 250 interviews in. I can only remember one other interview where a leader took a similar approach, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. shared how powerful it was. He's in the manufacturing mm-hmm. world, but it was, and then he even met with his uh, contractors that he was there were even employees to get. Mm-hmm. He wanted to mm-hmm. hear what they thought of you know how you know what their perspective was on working for the company right. of their party. Uh, but you know, yep. it's an interesting, yep. interesting thing, an interesting tool. Yep. But it is, you know, like you said, it's, they were talking to you and you said, Hey, there's gonna be a lot of hard work involved. And you strike me yep. as a guy who's not afraid of a little hard work and talking to yep. hundred plus employees. Hey, that's just part of the journey. That's right. That's oh. right. Yeah. So once the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career, and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Oh man. Um uh, you know. It's, you know, you get in sort of 20 years and careers and I'm sure Ben, you, you know, you've had as the same, right? There's just all these ups and downs, right? And there's certainly times, there's certainly times I thought, what am I doing? You know, is this the right move or is this the right thing to do? And, and, uh, you know, I actually said this to somebody else recently, you know, I've been like, oh, in my career, but just because you've been like, oh, doesn't mean uh, you don't have value or you're not a high performing individual or whatever the case is. That's just maybe not the right place and time for you mm. in that in that area. And in, and in fact, I'll tell you, you know, that happened sort of during COVID and and sort of put set me on a new path. And it was a path that led me here right to to the ceo seat. And and I think it really gave me some perspective on on, you know, you know, the decisions I make. You know, how, you know, being purposeful in the decisions that you make, you know, I think sometimes we can be, 
you know, quick to, to react emotionally to, to certain things and say, okay, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going to go do something else or, or whatever the case is. But uh, I was actually mentoring, um, you know, a, a guy that I see his career sort of evolving like mine, right? I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. seen that, right? You see people and you're like, boy, that guy looks like me. It's a little like, do I, do I like that or do I not like that? But you try to help him, you know, you know, hey, don't, don't make this mistake, right? Don't, don't do this thing that I did. That pen is hot. You know? Do not touch that pen. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they they right. go ahead and they grab it anyway. No. Yeah, they grab it anyway and, and say, oh, you know, okay, right? And you, hopefully you can impart at least a little wisdom, and which is I, which is the biggest thing for me I enjoy. Like, I love to see team members of mine spend two or three or four years with me or whatever and go off and be and doing big, great things, right? I think that's the coolest thing to me as a leader, it should be for every leader to aspire to, right? I mean, I've watched you know, be really successful in, in what they're doing. And that may not mean, that mean not working for you anymore, right? It's probably a good thing for them not to go work for you anymore, right? They should go off and, and go and do really good and big things. So that's, that's really kind of the big thing. It's like, you know, that, you know, failing, you know, getting fired or whatever happens in your career, you know, let that be a moment in your, in your career to sort of take a deep breath and think through things and let it motivate you going forward. Yeah. People live in fear of getting fired a lot of times. Like they don't, they, you know, they don't, they aren't courageous in meetings or they're a little bit less courageous because if I say that in my one, if I say that in my one-on-one with our CEO, Mm -hmm. he might not like me. He might put me on the chopping block. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's uh, a lot of times that kind of thing pays off too. If you're, you know, if you're willing to speak up and take a risk, but that, that fear is real. And I like how you're saying, Hey, that's a, that's a blip on your radar. Yeah. And uh, you can keep going forward. And it sounds like I think, I think if you're a high performing person and you want to be a leader, right. And so for the audience here, you know, of leaders, you know, up and coming leaders or, or current high level leaders, I go back to Colin Powell, right? Lesson number one, good leadership means ticking people off. I don't know if I could say the other word, but you, you know, not everybody's going to like you, right? At the end of the day, if you're, if you're honorable in your leadership and you're making decisions or you're challenging people, there's always going to be a subset of people who don't who don't agree with that. But if you're if you're honorable in your leadership, then you're going to be able to, you know, and there's going to be people that are like, I just, you know, I don't, and that could be your boss, right? You could be a leader and and challenge a notion you don't think is right or whatever the case may be. And they may say, hey, we don't need you here anymore. That's okay. Right. And that, that helps to shape what your career is. But you know, I, I think about that quote all the time, right? It's it's sort of you know, you have to make hard decisions. And I think the worst thing you can do as a leader is to try to get everybody to like you, right? If you get everybody to like you, it's going to be, you're probably ticking really high performing people off because you're not making decisions about poor performing people and all these sort of things happen. So, uh, you know, you can't be afraid to, to, yeah, to, to, to be courageous. And if you want to be a leader, yeah, sometimes it means upsetting people. Yeah, no, that's, uh, and then, and you, it sounds like to me in that situation, you're taking the long-term perspective. Uh, yep. Hey, where's our yeah, company exactly. going to be? And not everybody's yeah. going to be in your company for the rest of their lives. It just doesn't work right. that way. Hey, but, right. but you hope those high performers right. stick with you. That's so right. That's what right. are three exactly. success traits? Starting to put a sort of a cherry on top of our time together today, Andy. What three? Sure. What are three success strategies that you think all employees and leaders should be keeping in mind right now? 
Yeah, I think number one goes back to our listening conversation, right? I think right now in, in this environment, it's you have to have empathy, right? I, I think you have to really understand where people are coming from. I, I had a conversation with a, a senior investor recently. We talked about IQ and EQ, right? And yeah. it's, you know, you, you see a lot of leaders with IQ, especially certainly in healthcare, right? A lot of smart people, a lot of, a lot of letters after people's names, right? I've got, you know, you know, a lot of MDs, PhDs, you know, MHAs, ACS, you know, all this stuff. And, and they're very smart, but it doesn't mean they sort of understand people and have that emotional intelligence mm-hmm. to help uh, get the most out of people. And so I think, you know, the best success strategy for me is, is to understand others and then be able to help them with what they're doing. And when you're helping other people do what they're doing, you, you'll find your career skyrockets in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's the second, you know, the second strategy is, is serve first. Think about serving first. How can I help you? For my leaders, hey, what what's roadblock? How can I help you with what you're doing? And in my career, and I heard this actually in the military, this came from me from my old gunny sergeant. He said, Look, if I'm doing my job and I'm doing it well, and I'm asking my boss, hey, what can I take off your plate? Oh, you want to take some off my plate and you're doing your job great? Yeah, okay, great. You know, and those those are the kind of success strategies you want to get promoted, you want to move up in the world. That's a very quick and easy way to do it, right? And, but of course, you have to do the first thing well first, which is your job, right? Yeah. Do your job really well. And I think a lot of people miss that. They go, hey, I'm in a new job. Hey, I'd like that promotion. Hey, I want to get promoted. You should promote me. And But they forget the first step. Well, are you doing your job really, really well? And then how how much bandwidth do you have to take on new things? So I think that's the second So thing. good. And I, and I, I don't and just then, laugh because your because your facial expression was like, what? And I think that's <laughs> so I think that's what most people would think. It, it happens, right? I, I think yeah. I think there's a lot of that that goes uh, on. Hey, I've been here. I've been here three months. When's my promotion? You know? Yeah. Come on. You know uh, those sort of things. And then lastly, it's you know I I think it's really about always being a constant learner, right? You you can't be static. You can't be stagnant. Uh, you have to be someone that's always providing value, and that means reading tons of books. It means reading the latest things that are going on, right? It means understanding the space that you're in, right? And, and when you get into conversations uh, at a certain level, you can provide new information, you can provide value and what your customers and all those kind of things will look at you and go, wow, this is somebody that's that's offering value to me. And you can, that's either internal, right? So you're offering value to your boss, to your peers, to your colleagues, to your employees or external to your customers. And so, you know, constantly having new information, up-to-date information, learning, that's that's super important. You know, I think that's a great sort of hack for people to think about. We're talking about being a lifelong learner, we're talking about adding value, but you just gave yeah. us, you, get, you gave a level of specificity there and the world is changing so quickly. There's so much information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A great way for your employees to participate in the company mission is to consume information and yep. to really be able to bring that in a way that adds value to the company. And it's, it, it's, it's attainable. Information is everywhere. Yeah. You could be yep. reading the wall street journal. Your CEO probably certainly is, but you could also read other yep. publications. You could be on YouTube, you yep. do a lot of things and yeah. to be able to help bring, you know, be, you know, be part of that business conversation. Yep. Uh, it's such a powerful yep. way to be part of the bigger picture of the, of the company. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly, you know, for, for technical employees, expanding outside of your technical capabilities and learning business or understanding, you know, all those kind of things 
help you, right? And I think it's just certainly when people start to say, man, I'm just kind of stuck in my career. Well, what have you been doing to help your own skill set, your own training, your own learning, all those kind of things? Certainly, I, I, I think it's up to the individual to be able to go do that. Yeah, such a proactive call to action for everybody listening today. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And so much fun, great information. We hit AI hard and what leaders need to think yep. about, but also we got into your interesting career and so many great tips and strategies. I think there are people are going to get a lot out of it. I know I sure did. Thanks cool. for coming on today. Ben, man. it's been a pleasure. Really, really appreciate the opportunity. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.